Well, that was a blessing. Amen. Amen. Philippians chapter 3 in the Word of God tonight. Philippians chapter number 3. Once again, thank you. You've taken such good care of us since we've been here. It's been an honor for me to preach with uh, Pastor Billy Ingram. Uh, what an honor. What a blessing that's been for me. Hey, anybody here ever heard the story or the analogy of Schrodinger's cat? You've heard the analogy of Schrodinger? A couple of you have, not very many of you. As the story goes, Schrodinger had a cat and he put it in a box. Any, any cat lovers here? Any cat lovers here? Okay, then I won't say that that's a good place for a cat. Okay? So he had a cat and he put it in a box and the understanding was as long as the cat was in the box and he didn't open the box, the cat was both dead and alive at the same time. As long as he didn't look in the box. Now I'm saying that for a reason because one of the reasons my wife and I love coming up here, not just for the church, but we love, there's a root beer that's sold around here that my wife and I just love. And so whenever we come up here, we stock up on that root beer for us and for our children. They love it as well. And so I, being the good dad that I am, stocked up on root beer for my family. Now, I've got to tell you something. I'm from Ohio. I, I lived my teenage years in Ohio, and, and we have weather similar to this here. But it's been 27 years since I've lived up north. So I put the root beer in the trunk of my car. Now, as long as I don't open up the trunk to that car, that root beer is both fine and exploded at the same time. Are you with me? So I'm just trying to figure out how long I can last without opening up the trunk of my car. Amen? Galatians, I'm sorry, Philippians chapter number three. Yes, yes, yes. Amen. You know, you've got to be able to laugh at yourself. Sometimes we take ourselves too seriously. And if I don't laugh at myself, I'll probably just cry at myself the whole time. And so, um, so I've got a good detail waiting for me in my car when I get back home. Amen. I, um, I've been pastoring now for 20, a little over 20 years, and I love what I do. I love what I do. I, uh, I mentioned I went to Bible college late. I didn't get my bachelor's degree until I was 53 years old. And I graduated from an historically black Baptist college in Hopkinsville that they started right after the Civil War. And so um, I, I'm <laughs> the professors at that historically black Baptist college call me the white preacher who dips his sermons in chocolate. That's, that's what they call me. I don't call that myself, but I, I love what I do. I'm very grateful for that. Philippians chapter number three. <clears throat> uh, look at what Paul says. Um, look at verse four. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord." For whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, 
that I may win Christ and be found in him not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. And verse 10 is our text verse, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. I want to talk about that I may know him. Pray with me, would you please? Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd help us tonight. And Lord, in front of all these people, I humble myself before you and I acknowledge my insufficiency, but I acknowledge also I claim uh, the power and the promises of God. And Lord, I pray that you would bless your word as it's proclaimed. I pray that you'd help it to fall on open hearts and open ears. And Lord, I pray that you would do a work tonight in our hearts to make us more like Christ. Lord, I think of this prayer of Paul's and it's just so humbling. And Lord, I pray that that would be our prayer as well. Bless these dear, wonderful people. Bless this church, Father, I ask in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So the understanding is this. Paul was saved probably 28 years when he wrote that. How many of you have been saved over 25 years tonight? Raise your hand. You've been saved many, many, many of you in this room. And for a man who's been saved 28, maybe even 30 years, his cry was that I may know him. Isn't that a humbling statement? From where I stand, I think here is a man who has seen so much. Here is a man who has experienced so much. He's seen miracles. He's seen the power of God come down. He started churches. It has just been a divine journey for him. And after all these miles, and after all these years, his cry was that I may know Christ. Would to God that would be the cry of God's people in this room tonight. God, I've been saved five years, 10 years, 20 years. I've been saved 51 years, almost 52 years. And may God help us until the day we die, have a hunger, have a yearning for the things of God that we would know Christ. Now, it's interesting the way that he approaches this. There's specific things he talks about in chapter number three. And I want to talk about those three things. First of all, he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. The power of his resurrection. First Corinthians chapter 15, verses three and four says in the word of God, for I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scripture. Paul's desire was to be like Christ. And Paul knew if he was going to be like Christ, he was going to have to know Christ. Now it's interesting, and I'm going to be talking about this tomorrow. But in 2 Timothy 3.10, Paul's talking to Timothy, and he says, he, he's sharing with Timothy, he says, Thou hast fully known. And then he starts listing things in his life. He talks about his doctrine. He talks about his manner of life. He talks about his purpose. And he's telling Timothy, you've been around me so much. You've let me influence you so much that you fully know these things about me to the point where people could come to you, Timothy, and they could say, hey, what does Paul believe about this? And Timothy could answer because he fully knew those things. 
Or they could come to Timothy and say, hey, Timothy, how would Paul handle a situation like this? And Timothy would be able to answer because he fully knew Paul's manner of life. In the same way that Paul was trying to influence Timothy, Paul was saying, in the same way, I need to know Christ. And may God help us know Christ. The first thing he talks about was knowing Christ regarding the power of his resurrection. The power of his resurrection. There's several things he talks about regarding the power of the resurrection, I think, that helps us. We need to understand this fact. Paul talks to the church at Rome in Romans chapter 1 and verse number 4. He says that Jesus Christ is declared to be the Son of God with power. And then he makes this statement later on in the verse. By the resurrection from the dead. So when we talk about knowing Christ through the power of his resurrection, we understand the principle is that it is the proof that he is the Messiah. His resurrection was proof that he was the Messiah. He was declared to be the son of God with power as a result of the resurrection from the dead. Spurgeon said it like this. The resurrection of Jesus is the keystone of the arch of our holy faith. If you take the resurrection away, the whole structure lies in ruins. The death of Christ, albeit that it is the ground of our confidence for the pardon of our sin, would not have furnished such a foundation had he not risen from the dead. Were he dead still, his death would have been like the death of any other person and would have given us no assurance of acceptance. His life, with all the beauty of its holiness, would have been simply a perfect example of conduct, but it could not have become our righteousness if his burial in the tomb of Joseph had been the end of all. And what Spurgeon was saying here was he did rise from the dead. And so his death was not like any other death. He did rise from the dead. And so his life was not like any other life. He was the son of God and he was declared to be the son of God as a result of his resurrection from the dead. And the more I understand that, the more it helps me to know Christ. And the more I know Christ, the more I can be like Christ. And for our young people here tonight, I would challenge you always, always, always have a hunger for knowing Christ even better than you know him today. You're coming here for your bachelor's degree, you're coming here for your master's degree or even more, and I would encourage you, I would challenge you by saying that's just a starting point. When I was an air traffic controller, we went to Oklahoma City. Oklahoma City is the home of the FAA and that's where the FAA Academy is. I was for a, a while, I was an instructor at the Academy. And so we would bring people in and every day we would train them for three months, for three months every day. No radar, all they had was paper strips. It would have the call sign of the aircraft. It would have the type of aircraft. It would have the speed of the aircraft, which was very important. It would have the propo proposed route of flight of the aircraft his departure airport, his destination airport. It would have his current altitude as he's getting ready to come into my airspace. 
it would have the major fix that he was crossing. Are you getting this? There's going to be a test, okay? It, it, would, he would have the, it would have the major fix that he was crossing in my airspace and what time he was crossing that major fix. So, so the big things that I wanted to know was his route of flight, the altitude, what the major fix was, what time he was going to be at that fix, and what his speed was across the ground. So that was important to me. And so we would, every day, we would have classroom instruction for the first half of the day, and we would go into what was called the labs for the second half of the day, and we would work traffic. And the only thing we could do was derive all of our information from off these strips. And sometimes we would have three uh, bays of strips, 12 strips in each bay, 36 different strips, and we would have to process this information off this strip. There were times when people's heads would explode in the classroom, and it was very difficult. And so we, we, we would have to figure out what that route of flight was. We'd have to figure out and make the decision about who was going where and, and how they were going to get there. And, and we would have to be challenged with the fact that we had to figure this out, and we had to know it like the back of our hand. And I would submit to you, that's nothing compared to my responsibility to know Christ and to learn more about him and to understand him even, even more and to saturate myself with that as I'm walking in this journey. His resurrection is proof that he's Messiah. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. Back just a couple of pages, 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. The resurrection of the dead is not only proof that he is Messiah, but I submit to you according to the word of God that his resurrection, without it, your faith and my faith would be in vain. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, skip down to verse number 12. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead then is Christ not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain. And your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins. Then they also, which are fallen asleep in Christ, are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. I said, number one, the resurrection of Christ is proof that he's the Messiah. And the more I grab a hold of that principle, the closer I get to Christ, the more I know him, the more I'm going to be like him. But not only is it proof that he's the Messiah, without it, my faith and your faith is in vain. The apostles, according to this passage, would have been nothing but false witnesses. They would have been men most miserable, and you and I today, if this, and I mentioned this morning, I love life, but if this is the best that we have, then we are of all men most miserable. I am looking forward to that day when I will see Christ. 
I am looking forward to that day when I will see my father who is in heaven, when I will see my brother who is in heaven, when I will see the other loved ones who have gone on before me. I'm looking forward to that day. But I'm looking forward to seeing Jesus. I'm looking forward to the fact that he rose from the dead for my sins and he is seated at the right hand of the Father. And if I could get a hold of that principle, it changes everything. Because we believe in the resurrection, if there were no resurrection, our faith would be in vain. But because of the power of the resurrection, they, the apostles, had more boldness in witness. I mean, you understand, uh, this causes them to speak with more authority. There was confidence. They spoke with the confidence that they saw the one who died on Calvary. Hey, we saw him when he, he hung on the cross. We saw him when they laid him in the tomb. But we saw him when he rose from the dead. What a source of strength that is. What a source of power that is. What a source of confidence that is. A man there was, a real man, who once on Calvary died. That same blessed man arose from death. The mark is in his side. As a matter of fact, Acts chapter 1 tells us that's why they were the apostles. Verses 21 and 22 say, Wherefore these men which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John unto that same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. The very fact that they were apostles were as a result of the fact that they saw the resurrection. The power of the resurrection gives validation to all that he had said and done. Matthew 28, verse number 6 says, He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. I talked about this this morning. Just as your testimony gives weight to your words. Can I tell you something? The most powerful part of your life is the power of a changed life. When I talk to people about the Lord, what the work that God has done and is doing in me gives weight to the words that I say. But if there is no changed life, it takes away from the power of my words. It's just empty talk. And I'm confident that in your life you have met someone who claims to be a child of God, but what they say and what they do are two different roads. And as a result of that, and maybe even in your own life, there's no power in their words. There's no power in their testimony. They struggle with being an influence for the things of God because of a lack of a changed life. But the apostles, God changed their life. And the testimony of his resurrection gives weight to his words and to his actions. In the same way, the power of the resurrection gives credibility to the things that he is going to do. Because he is who he said he is. He is. 
as a result of the evidence of the resurrection. And by the way, the resurrection was God's stamp of approval on the Lord Jesus Christ's life. He's done what I've told him to do. And he was resurrected from the dead. And, and if you can get a hold of that principle of the resurrection, it will give you power in your testimony. It will give you confidence in your witness. It will impact the way that you live your life if you truly understand the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. The power of his resurrection gives credibility to the things that he's going to do. I go to prepare a place for you. And I, I love what he says a little later when he says, if it were not so, I would have told you. I believe that. I have confidence in that. Because of his resurrection. And it helps me. It gives me strength. It gives me purpose. It gives me meaning. It strengthens my faith. Because of what he did. I believe him in what he said he's going to do. Our own eternal salvation. I was saved as a 10-year-old boy. I, I started having dreams about hell. I can still tell you those dreams, too, are still very, very vivid in my mind. And I went to my mom. My dad got saved later in life. Uh, he was saved uh, right after they got married. But it, it just, you know, my mom was the one who had... Uh, uh, we looked to for spiritual guidance so many times. I don't want to take anything away from my dad. My dad was one of my heroes. But I started having these dreams about hell, so I went to my mom. And I started sharing with her those dreams. And I'll be honest, they woke me up. I was scared. And my mom basically said, Kenny, if you do what the Bible tells you to do, you don't have to worry about it anymore. And so I talked to a man who showed me how I could have forgiveness of sin and how I could have confidence in what the Lord Jesus Christ had done for me. And I rest in the fact that God, that the Lord Jesus keeps his promises to me. That I may know him. And the more I know him, the more I'm able to draw close to him. And the more I'm able to draw close to him, the more I'm able to be like him. Not only in, in uh, go back to Philippians chapter number three. Because not only does he say in Philippians chapter three, he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And this is where it gets difficult. He says that I may know him in the fellowship of his sufferings. You know, we all get excited when we talk about the power of resurrection. I remember as a teenage boy, I mean, I, I, I felt like I was in, I had zeal, but not according to knowledge. And I, I remember there was a boy in our neighborhood, he was just a bully. He was mean to me. And you know, that, that happened a lot in my life. I don't understand why. 
Young, one young man in high school, Randall Ranke. He's a police chief right now. I'm not surprised. <laughs> my youth director challenged us. He changed my life. And he challenged us to, I went to a public school, and he challenged us to carry our Bible in school. And I did. And that was new for me. He challenged us to pray in public. And that was new for me. And so I started carrying my Bible to school. I started praying for my meals in, in public. And so I would bow my head and I would pray for my lunch. And I would get done praying and I would look up for my prayer. And there was Randall Ranke sitting across from me. He'd eaten all my french fries. <laughs> I'm walking down the hall one day carrying my Bible. And Randall says, you sissy. You coward. I said, why am I a coward? He said, you're carrying that Bible. I said, you carry the Bible. He said, I'm not carrying it. I said, who's the coward? <laughs> that, that was the last thing I remember for a few days. <laughs> you heard the story about uh, the, the man goes to heaven and he's standing there and, and Peter says, and I know this is a corny joke, and Peter says, he said, listen, you have to have done something great in your life. Something really great. And the man said, well, you know, he said, uh, I uh, was driving down the road one day and he said, I saw all these motorcycles pulled alongside of the road and, and here were all these motorcycle guys in their jackets and they had surrounded this woman and they were accosting this woman. He said, so I pulled my car over and I ran down to the crowd and I went to the biggest man in the crowd and I stuck my nose, my, my finger in his face, and I said, you need to leave that woman alone. You need to stop it. And the guy said, you make me. He said, and I hauled off and slugged him. And St. Peter said, okay, that, that was pretty heroic. When did that happen? He said, about 15 seconds ago. <laughs> when I was a younger teenager... When I was a younger teenager, um, th this boy was being a bully to me. And I, I really thought I could call down fire from heaven. You know, I really did. You know, I was that, like I said, zeal but not according to knowledge. And, you know, I, I, I had to grow in these things. But I will tell you, I, I was all in. I, I was convinced that I was on God's side and that he was on my side. So we have the power of his resurrection and we get excited about that. But the next part, we don't get so excited about it, and that's the fellowship of his sufferings. The fellowship of his sufferings. Go to Isaiah chapter number 53. You know this passage. It's such a tender passage. Isaiah 53, skip down to verse number. Four. Let's just read a couple verses. Isaiah 53 is such a beautiful chapter, isn't it? Look at verse number four. It says, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Watch this. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted, but he was wounded. For our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. 
and with his stripes we are healed. You see all that he suffered? And when Paul says that I may know him and the fellowship of his sufferings, I really don't think he was talking about getting French fries stolen off my plate. You and I could sit here and share stories about people that we know and about the sufferings they've, they've been. I, I don't think I've shared this story with you. You know, I honestly, after Veterans Day, I never imagined I'd come back here again and speak. And so I did not keep track of the stories that I told when I was here, which I usually do. And, and um, but I met a missionary to Australia and he was a second generation missionary. This was probably 30 years ago. <clears throat> and he was older. <clears throat> and he grew up in South America on the mission field. And he shared with us when he was a little boy that uh, the Catholic Church ruled with an iron hand. And his little brother got sick. And it got to the point where he couldn't breathe. And so they took him to the hospital. And they, the doctor said, you need oxygen. And they were getting ready to give oxygen. And, and the Catholic priest came up. And the Catholic priest said, if you don't recant, that boy will not get oxygen. You know, I, I, I want to say, hurt me all you want. But you know, for me, you start going after my kids and, and I, I have a more difficult time with that. Would to God, if I were faced with that situation, I would glorify God in my actions. And that missionary said, we have nothing to recant. And they refused oxygen for that little boy and he died. We're talking the 20th century in the Western Hemisphere. They buried that boy. Further down the road, the dad went off into the jungle to do his evangelistic work and outreach work. Left mom at home with the kids and while he was gone, their daughter got sick. Now ladies, My wife has followed me all over the place. And I'm very humbled by that and I'm very grateful for that. But in that situation, the husband was nowhere around. And that woman had to take her little girl to the hospital. And the doctor said, your daughter needs oxygen. And the priest said to that mama, the priest said, 
if you don't recant, your little girl will not get oxygen. I don't know about you, that's gut-wrenching. And God bless that woman, she said, we have nothing to recant. And her little girl died. They took the little girl home and they laid her on the bed until dad came back from his trip. And he came back and they buried that little girl. Months went by. And that priest showed up at their house. And said, your daughter and your son are in purgatory. And unless you pay us for the indulgences, they will remain in purgatory. And we will dig them up from their grave and burn their bodies. And the dad said, my children are in heaven. There is no place called purgatory. You can take your false teaching and you can leave. And that priest left and went and dug up those bodies and burned those bodies. You know, getting a door slammed in my face doesn't seem like such a big deal now, does it? I believe when Paul was talking about knowing the fellowship of Christ's sufferings, that's what he's talking about. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter number 11. Are you still with me tonight? Say amen. I'm from down south. We say amen a lot. 2 Corinthians chapter number 11. Look at this. Look at verse 22. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors, more abundant. In stripes, above measure. In prisons, more frequent. In deaths, off. Of the Jews, five times received I 40 stripes, saved one. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day have I been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. Boy, that's a tough one for me. You think they're brethren. And then you find out, no, they're false brethren. In weariness, verse 27, and painfulness, 
in watchings often, in hungers and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. And then he says, beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Isn't that an amazing statement? And my friend, listen to me. You want to be like Christ? And that is your only hope. You want to know Christ? You're going to have to understand his sufferings. You're going to have to be willing to enter into his sufferings. I pray for Pastor Gilmore and his wife and his family. And even this week, Lord willing, they'll be headed off to Cameroon. And I pray for them about that. I pray for divine protection for your dad and mom. And the problem here in America, you know, you go to a foreign country, and I've spent a lot of time in foreign countries around the world. And you go to a foreign country, and they think America is heaven. But the missionaries who are over there think America is Sodom. And we've got it so good here. And, and I, I certainly don't want to sound harsh. Sometimes, sometimes my time in the military and my time pastoring a military church gives me an edge that is not pretty, and I don't want that. But I think God's people in the U.S., I think as a whole, we're spoiled. We've, we've got it too easy. You know, it gets down to single digits. That changes our life. It gets up to 90 degrees, man, we're not going out in that. The air conditioning in the church is broken. Forget that. I took this, this church where I've been for two years, my very first Sunday as pastor, my very first Sunday as pastor. I pulled into the parking lot, I got there early and I parked and I went inside and a short while later, here comes a couple into the church greeting the pastor and they said, you're in our parking spot. You heard the story about the man who's laying in bed and he told his wife, he said, I am not going to church today and I'll give you three reasons why. He said, they're hypocrites. He said, they're mean. And he said, and I just don't want to go. And she said, well, you need to be in church today and I'll give you three reasons why. Number one, it's the right thing to do. Number two, your children need to see you in church. And number three, you're the pastor. <laughs> We've got it so good, don't we? And I'm grateful. I love my life. 
uh, you know, my, my family and I, we like to go camping. We don't get to do it enough, but I've got a pastor friend, he and his wife, and she said her, her idea of roughing it is when the microwave in the hotel room does not work. <laughs> the fellowship of his sufferings. Are you tonight willing To enter into that special place where you would know Christ to such an extent that you would be willing to embrace the fellowship of his sufferings. May God help us. May God help us. Let me give you one more. Go back to Philippians 3. And this is a simple one, but I think it's the pinnacle of the truth. Verse number 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Here we go. Being made conformable <clears throat> unto his death. I, I think of two things when, when it talks about being made conformable unto his death. Let, let, let me just share these two things. Number one, Christ's death meant that he was in a place where sin could no longer touch him. You know, he, he was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. But through his death, he had entered into a place where it no longer had, could even touch him, could even reach him based upon where he was. And being made conformable unto his death for me means that I am so far over on the victory side that what, what Dr., uh, uh, Pastor Ingram's been talking about in James chapter 1, I am not even taking that next step. You know, that word lust, my understanding of that word lust, and I'm not a Bible scholar, but my understanding of that word lust in James 1, the picture is like a spring that has been coiled so tightly. And when that spring is released, the direction that it goes says a lot. And that's what lust is. When, when lust is released in your life, where do you go? Where does your heart go? Where does your mind go? And God is saying, we need to get to the point in our lives where we are so conformable unto his death, we don't let that go someplace it ought not go. And may God help us with that. May God help you and me be so victorious in our living that it, just doesn't go where it ought not go when we are faced with temptation. When that lust is thrown at us. But can I say one more thing? Being made conformable unto his death means that sin has no power over me. But being made conformable unto his death 
in the case of Christ means that he pleased his father. I love God's word, but I have to confess. John 17 troubles me. I feel like I have invaded somebody's privacy. Do you, do you know what I mean by that statement? John 17, the Lord Jesus is in the garden and he's praying to his father. And I feel like it is such an intimate conversation that I am violating some principle just by looking at this. Like I'm eavesdropping on something that, man, what tenderness that God would want us to see. Such an intimate conversation. And in John 17 and verse number four, the Lord Jesus says to his father, I have glorified thee on earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And how about you? You want to be like Christ? You've got to know him. And if you're going to know him, you've got to know the power of his re resurrection. It'll change how you live. You've got to know the fellowship of his sufferings. It'll change your focus. And you've got to be willing to be conformed unto his death. And if I'm going to be conformed unto his death, I, I can't let sin have power over me. But if I'm going to be conformed unto his death tonight, tomorrow, when I go back home on Thursday, I've got to please the Father. I ask you tonight, are you like Christ? Young people, God has blessed you with so many gifts and abilities. And the problem is, if we're going to rest on these gifts and on these abilities, there will come a day when you will fall flat on your face. And if you want to see God do a work that counts for eternity, you're going to have to be like Christ. And if you're going to be like Christ, you can't be like him if you don't know him. And may God help us tonight to know Christ. Let's pray.